Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Good afternoon, today. So we are back online. <laughs> so just now, Kalang <laughs> Kabu. I now repeated one line. <laughs> I was like, eh? How can to Ojupati Tano Bakawato? <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the thing. Uh. When we do something repetitively over time, then we get used to it. Uh, <clears throat> when that when there's a shift, sometimes uh, uh <laughs> Okay, let's see. Um, so usually we will, uh, in the live class, we will actually ask everybody, uh, ask whether there's anybody newer. So let me see. Today is our first time having the Zoom and Facebook concurrently for the uh, SGC as well. So, should we, be, should we ask? Uh, let me see. Uh, there are still some number of you with your video off. Uh, can we get Siu Juan, Esther, Li Hui, Quack, Jess, and Gek Sing to turn on the webcam? Siu yeah. Quan. Okay, let's see who is new. Anybody who is new? to SGC. Now I'm getting confused because we have the daily sitting. So it looks exactly the same. So I don't know who is new anymore. <laughs> I think Kia Kim looks newer. Hey Kia Kim, are you new? Your mic is off. Yeah. Ah, so how do you get I'm new, new to Zoom. Sorry? Wait, Asafu. Asafu, can you hear me? Can, can. Asafu, can you hear me? Yes, yes. I'm quite new to the Zoom. Hello, Asafu, ah. me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I get to know through Sai Kiang. Eh. <laughs> oh, Sai Kiang, very uh, Yeah, so she welcome, was telling welcome. me uh, uh, to her link. So I say, okay, a variable. Uh, many years ago, I ever take your heart sutra course. Many years. Oh, many years yeah. ago. Uh. Yeah. Where was was it, where was that? I think maybe eight years. Oh maybe wow. eight years. <laughs> wow. So I just see the title of the topic that I very interested. That's why I joined. Oh, then I sweat. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, sir. Okay. Welcome. Uh, let's see who else is new. Uh, Siu Quan, I think, did you attend the SGC live? Siu Quan, ha, Siu Quan. Not for the live, but ever go to SG that site. Library. I see, I see. So how how did you get to know about the Zoom today? From the website on the Facebook. Ah, okay, okay. Welcome, welcome. Let me see who else. 
Uh, the rest, I'm, I don't know. Uh, who, who else haven't introduced before? Raise your hand. Otherwise, I'm, uh, I will assume you all attended before. Uh. Otherwise, our class cannot start, cannot finish. Uh. <laughs> so today's topic, as Kev Kim uh, shared, she says that when she see the topic, she's uh, very interested. So, <laughs> so this make me sweat. Uh. Uh, because as I uh, remarked to some students, uh, this is again thanks to our volunteer Sai Kyung. She always come out with very big topics. Yeah, when I say big topics, what do I mean? I mean the topic itself covers. <laughs> it's very massive. Uh. Uh, so uh, Abhidhamma. Today's topic is on Abhidhamma. Uh, if you go around looking at the various courses in Singapore on Abhidhamma, uh, you, it's usually like in terms of uh, years, uh, uh, at least one year, two years, or three years. Uh, usually if you have a one talk, then it's just an overview. It's just an introduction kind of talk. So, um, I hope you all are mentally prepared. This is a level 100 talk, not even 200. <laughs> uh, so if you are thinking, oh, I learned, I attended Abhidhamma class before, I want to come and learn more. Uh, this is more like an overview. So what is Abhidhamma? Uh, I have, uh, I prepared some, in, some, some, some information. Then I prepared halfway down and realized if I continue in that direction, I will again, like last week, uh, the 10 qualities, I realized that if I continue in the direction I was on, I will have too many pages. So I decided, okay, I'll just give overview of some things and then I will share with you the, the standard seven books in the um, Pali tradition, yeah, in the, Theravadan tradition, they have seven books. And even then, it's just an overview. Uh, and today, perhaps I will share with you my own encounter with what, uh, I, what is Abhidhamma. So, uh, and the, in the lineage I was trained in, the approach we take in looking at uh, the Abhidhamma text or the commentaries. So, and perhaps that can serve as, uh, as a guide for all of you on how you can look at Abhidhamma. Okay, so let me share the screen. Let me share the screen. <clears throat> okay, so can you all see the screen? So the word Abhidhamma uh, shouldn't be uh foreign to most of us so it is uh, it comprises two parts one is abhi the other one is dharma i've written down abhi dharma and abhi dharma uh, so one is in sanskrit one is in pali they fundamentally mean the same thing yeah uh, so the word abhi has uh, a few meaning the common ones is higher or superior uh, some I've seen some translations where they translate as beyond, yeah. So 
the, the so that's to refer that this set of texts, this set of teachings refer to the higher Dharma. And Dharma here uh, can refer to the Buddha's teaching. Yeah. Uh, but in some texts, it says that it's actually talking about the phenomena. Yeah. So the teachings on the uh, the higher teachings on it, about phenomena, you can say that. Um, in the Chinese tradition, we transliterate as apitamo, yeah, or apitan, or pitan. Uh, so all this refers to the same thing, apitama. Um, and in the so uh, in terms of the abhidhamma, then it uh, falls under the tripitaka, isn't it? No? Uh, the tripitaka, the, the what we call the tree basket. Tripitaka, no? so the three baskets. Let me just so the three baskets will refer to. Uh, Sutta Pitaka, Vinaya Pitaka, and Abhidhamma Pitaka, right? So, uh, the uh, where does where did the Abhidhamma come from? Oh, I'm going to touch a bit about uh, the question that Sakyam posed uh, in terms of who wrote the Abhidhamma. Yeah, where did it come from, and uh, like what is the source of it? Uh, we know that in the in all the traditions, it is widely agreed that the uh, the first two pitaka, the vinaya and the uh, what do you call it the sutta pitaka, it stems from the first council where Venerable Mahakashapa convened the first council with five hundred arahants, Venerable Upali reciting the vinaya pitaka, and then Venerable Ananda reciting the suttas. Right, so most would agree that the Abhidhamma wasn't readily recited at that point in time. But if you look at various texts on Abhidhamma, um, uh, there, there are different um, understanding of where it comes from. Some would say that uh, the Buddha actually formulated the full teachings uh, in the first four weeks after enlightenment, yeah, um, and that the essence of what is taught in Abhidhamma is already taught yeah, and found in the suttas. Yeah? Uh, but at the same time, if you, if you look at the Abhidhamma itself, it, it does contain further elaboration of certain key concepts found in the suttas. Yeah? The key concepts are found in the suttas, but the elaborations are not. Yeah? So by and large, across most traditions, we would agree that the Abhidhamma is a collection of um, uh, analysis, compilation of the teachings, yeah, um, and organizing them into certain structures. Yeah. So we will we will look at the, the different texts and then also perhaps 
look at a bit of the structures that is commonly found in the various traditions of Abhidhamma. Well, uh, you also find that if you search online, uh, whether in terms of the internet or in various uh, classes, right? Um, in the Theravadan tradition, there is the standard seven books of Abhidhamma. Uh, but beyond that, there are also commentaries, no? such as the famous Visuddhi Marga. But beyond Visuddhi Marga uh, by Venerable Buddha Gosa, there are also other commentaries. No? So here I've listed out like Ta Zi Di Lun. No? It is a commentary on the Mahaprasna Paramita Sutra. So this belongs to the Madhyamika school, the Prashna series. The next one, Chen Shilun, also under the Prashna school. Yeah. So both expounds and elaborate, further elaborate the principles found in the uh, emptiness school. Uh, so the, the, the other ones I've listed down here, Yuchia Siddhilun, Yugachara Bhumisastra, Siddha Siddhilun, Mahana Samgraha, Chen Wei Siddhilun, the, basically the, the establishment of uh, Yogacara on the consciousness only school and then the Ta Chen Bai Fa basically a uh, kind of like a, a, a subtext uh, equivalent to the Dhamma Sangani that we'll go through later. So by and large in the uh, Chinese Mahana tradition we see this uh, all the commentaries as further explanation of the teachings found in the suttas. Uh, but very interestingly, uh, if you look, look at most of the uh, Theravada uh, texts on the commentary uh, on the Abhidhamma, you'll find this very interesting narrative, uh, which is that um, besides, besides a notion that the Abhidhamma was uh, already formulated by the Buddha, yeah, within the first four weeks of his enlightenment. It is also said that at some point, the Buddha actually went up to Tavamthisa uh, heaven and gave teachings to the heavenly beings there, including his mother who has passed away. Yeah, And that every day he would come down and give, give uh, summary teachings to Venerable Sariputra, who in turn gave the teachings to Venerable Ananda. Yeah. And so they, there's this um, there's this uh, how should I put it? Uh, there is this tradition, yeah, that is recognized in the Theravadan uh, lineage that uh, position the authorship of the Abhidhamma in this way. Uh, but by and large, when you look at the text, right, uh, sutras tend to be narratives. Yeah, narratives means that um, there's usually uh, like a prelude of where, what happened, who, who, when, when, why, how. Yeah, and then there's usually uh, in the form of of a kind of like a dialogue and exchange. Someone asking question and then uh, the Buddha replying, or between uh, either the, the Buddha's disciples and other ascetics. Yeah, but in the Abhidhamma. It is almost like a syllabus, right? Yeah, uh, it's almost like a reference manual. No? Uh, so um, this much we, we can see. 
<clears throat> that in present day, when you look at all the different uh, Abhidhamma texts in, from different lineages, uh, that, that is a structure. Yeah. What's also interesting is that in the Chinese Mahana tradition, uh, they actually retain a good number of uh, Abhidhamma texts from different, uh, different lineages, yeah? including from the uh, Sravastivadan, yeah, the Dhammagupta, Babashuka, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, the Theravadan uh, lineage tend to uh, retain only one one or two one particular uh, version. Yeah. Uh, that over the past few centuries there are there are attempts to make the Abhidhamma more accessible as well. So if you look at some of the, the forward, then they talk about how uh, at some point, the, the Abhidhamma was seen to be too, too, too abstract. So there are sub-commentaries written so, to explain. Then at some point, they find that the sub-commentaries are too complicated. <laughs> so then there are those who, who write summaries of it. <laughs> yeah, so this, this uh, expansion and contraction happened over the centuries. Huh? So... Um, with that, I'm going to just uh, give you all a, a brief overview of the uh, Abhidhamma as seen inside the uh, Theravadan tradition. No? So as I mentioned, there are seven books. And this is found online. You can actually find this information online. No? Uh, the access to insight. So hang on. Uh, I think I should string this so that you all can see it. So the first book is on Dhamma Sangani. Yeah. So it basically it lists out all the different phenomena. Yeah. And uh, where is it? Hang on. Uh, just now I was just referring to one book. Give me a second. Yeah, so the first book on Dhamma Sangani lays out the various uh, phenomena, what we also call Dhamma. Yeah, Dhamma or Dhamma uh, is referring to phenomena. Yeah, as we know, Dhamma has three meanings uh, phenomena, that means things, yeah? not just physical things, but mental, physical things. And then the second is the support, the principles that defines them. And the third is Buddha Dhamma, right? So here, Dhamma Sangani refers to phenomena. No? And inside this listing, is, uh, it breaks down into the mental concomitants, the different mental states, yeah? physical states, uh, and the unconditioned. So in this other text, which I uh, highlighted here, the Da Chen Bai Fa Ming Wen Wen, right? So this one, uh, so this this is a, a supplement. This is a, a text on the Baifa, uh, which I use in the past to conduct the class. Uh, so this book itself is just is almost like an equivalent to the Dhamma Sangani. It lists out all the different phenomena, uh, grouping it into five broad categories. Yeah, 
心心所，呃，这个心不相应心法设法设法心不相应心法 ，then 无为法。So mind, mental concomitants. Then you have the form, and then the conditioned phenomena that is not linked to mind or body. Yeah, not 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 directly anyway. And then the last one is the unconditioned phenomena. Yeah, totaling hundred. You'll find that whether you look at this particular text or the Abhidhamma, Theravada Abhidhamma, or you look at uh, Sravastivadan Abhidhamma, the, the way they classify the phenomena are uh, almost never 100% one-to-one. There's a lot of similarities. Uh, there's some overlap, some differences. Yeah. So um, a bit about how I approach uh, these teachings is uh, initially, when you go through the Abhidhamma, if you were to go through just one particular school, in a way, it's easier. Because then you just follow this framework. Yeah. Uh, but if you do that, then it's easy to then draw the conclusion, this is the only way to look at the world. But for any of you who have learned the Abhidhamma from any of the tradition, let me ask you a, a simple question. In terms of the uh, men, mental concomitants, the chitta seka, right? Um, it, it does go through a lot of fine detail, right? But if you compare this with modern, uh, modern definition of emotions, which one do you think is more detailed? Yeah, which one do you think is more detailed? I personally find that the modern uh, definition of mental uh, states or emotional states is more detailed. More detailed doesn't mean it's more right or wrong. Uh. It's just, it just means that they draw finer uh, delineation. Yeah. So, um, and as I, I said, it doesn't make it more right or wrong. Uh, it just means that the classification is different. Yeah. So what is the implication? The implication is, um, I would say, don't get too caught up with uh, specific classification, although it's helpful to know them. But in all the different traditions, uh, the classification in Buddhism always group them under wholesome or unwholesome. Yeah, because it serves a purpose. It's not meant to be just an empirical uh, reference manual just for the sake of reference manual. Yeah. Uh, it's just like if you if you buy a, an equipment and it comes with a reference manual, it's not just an in, good to know information, but it's meant to help you repair the equipment. So similarly, you can look at Abhidhamma as a reference manual to our existence for us to repair the equipment. Yeah, repair what equipment? When do we need to repair the equipment? When you find that the mental states that arises fall under the unwholesome states, yeah, the unwholesome ones. Uh, if it's the wholesome one, then you should also know how they arise. Yeah? So whether wholesome or unwholesome, to know how these states arises. Yeah? And by knowing this, then you can nurture the growth of wholesome states, reduce the unwholesome states, wholesome states that has arisen to help it to grow 
unwholesome states that has not arisen to prevent it from growing. So in this way, then, this is a very direct usage of the Abhidharma to help us do what? Practice the Noble Eightfold Path. Yeah, can, I, can you all see that link? Yeah, whereas if you don't see this, then you, you, if you end up getting caught with all the terms, uh, you just look at this, there are 52 mental factors. Yeah, and 89 different possible chittas. And inside this text, this thin text, uh, this is very thin, 100, 100 altogether, all the different classifications. So if you were to learn thinking that, oh, it's like, when we study in school, memorize everything, uh, then you may, I, might, I personally find that that approach uh, will help you to clear exams. If you are taking a diploma course or a bachelor's course, uh, you should maybe go and memorize that because they were, they, they, that's the only way they test, that, test you, right? Yeah. Uh, but if you want to use it as part of your course of spiritual practice, then you want to <clears throat> map what you have learned to what you're going through. Yeah? Or another way to look at it is to map what you have gone through, what you are going through with what is taught. And bear in mind that it is seldom one-to-one. -one. As I mentioned in many classes, even the fundamental defilements like greed, hatred, delusion, most of the time in our day-to-day, -day, we don't specifically think of our own mental states as greed, hatred, delusion, right? We may feel frustrated, but we, would, we seldom think that we are full of hatred, right? We may want more of, uh, <clears throat> of a certain food or the company of a certain person, yeah? Or watch more, one more episode of Netflix, right? But we rarely think of ourselves as greedy, yeah, <laughs> right? We seldom think of ourselves as having, wow, I have craving for Netflix. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we do use that word, right? Uh, but oftentimes, it's actually a form of it. Yeah. So similarly for the uh, Dhamma Sanghani within the Abhidhamma. Uh, so this is one important part. And that's why when I uh, give the teaching on the Tatsun Bai Fa yeah, which is, as I said, the equivalent for Dhamma Sanghani, a huge part of the class was about an exploration uh, into um, how, how students see the, the, the teachings in their life. And then in the process, I will, I will share with them exercises for them to try it out yeah, and see whether they are able to observe these mental states and what they can do about them. So this is one part of it. Yeah, then uh, the next one you have uh, Vivanga. Yeah, Vivanga, the term itself, oftentimes you find inside the Sutta. Uh, Vivanga itself is more or less translated as analysis. Yeah, so like in the Pali Canon, you have Maga Vivanga, Shacha Vivanga, and so on and so forth. Uh, so here is more uh, further analysis of it. Uh, I'll just go through some of the, the the text and share with you what I can, whatever I can remember uh, I, as I've gone through them in the like way back, back in US. So then next you have the Datu Kata, uh, referring to the different elements. You know? Then you have uh, Pugala Panyati. Uh, Panyati. 
So here, this part is interesting. This part talking about the different individuals, yeah, the different categories of individuals. So um, uh, take this for example. This can be interesting for for practitioners also, yeah, to examine which category do you belong to. But in the Buddhist approach, don't think of that as a fixed entity, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it is very similar to in the corporate world, we have profiling, right? Yeah. yeah we have the behavior, like you, you, you answer a series of like 40 questions or what, then they tell you the four quadrants and then they, they plot it out, right? Then they draw a map and they tell you you are more uh, towards the what, uh, visionary, uh, or persuasive, are you the more aggressive one, or so and so forth? Yeah. So, you, if you think about it, this is quite interesting because this this text dates back to thousand over years ago, thousand over two thousand years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. So HR uh, personality profiling can be found in Abhidhamma. <laughs> yeah. But the angle is of course quite different. Uh. The angle talk about the different uh, inclinations. Yeah, whether this person is inclining towards this kind of uh, traits or that kind of traits, and then correspondingly, uh, what kind of practices and so on and so forth. Oh. Uh, Katabatu is, in my impression, besides Dhamma Sangani, Katabatu is by far the, the, the one that leaves a strong impression. So I'm going to leave it for last. Okay. Uh, next, Yamaka, uh, a pair. Of, a list of all the different pairs and the last one revelations uh, talking about uh, dependent origination yeah uh, pachayas all the different conditions conditional arising and stuff no? uh, but katavatu uh, this book is very interesting if you have a chance regardless of whether you subscribe to the theravada abhidhamma or whichever tradition you are you follow this book is interesting yeah, why? Because it actually talked about how uh, way back the different schools within Buddhism, uh, how they look at different concepts, different themes and teachings found in Buddhism. For example, sometimes uh, students may ask, what's the difference between Buddha and the Arhant? Uh, so some of these themes are actually explored in Katabatu points of controversy yeah uh, from what i can remember this thing about arahant right so they had question mark about so um like today it is almost like a foregone knowledge that certain traditions look at buddha quite differently from arahant whereas typically in the theravadan tradition then we say that oh buddha is also arahant no no difference but yet at the same time you look at pali canon quite clearly the buddha explicitly stated that there are certain things that the Buddha can do that Arahants don't, are, are not able to do. Yeah, that there are distinctions, right? But at the same time, he also declared himself as an Arahant. He's also declared as an Arahant. So today we may feel like, oh, it's just a Mahana thing, no, that established Buddha quite differently. But way back, before what we usually agree to be the formal arising of uh, something called Mahayana. In the time of the 18 schools, there were already differing views or question marks starting to arise about what constitutes an Arahant. 
So, um, for example, uh, certain things happen, yeah, uh, after the Buddha passed away. When things happen during the Buddha's time, they could easily refer to the Buddha and then get the Buddha to clarify and explain. Yeah, so then the Buddha will clarify, okay, this is this person is already an Arahant. Yeah, although, he, uh, uh, like for example, the, the account of the, the monk who walked, yeah, did walking meditation and then stepped on, on insects and killed insects. So the other monks were, were like, hey, is that actually, <laughs> what, how, how did that happen, you know? So the Buddha declared him as being thoughtless. Yeah, he was blind, and, uh, but he has attained arahanhood. Yeah. So he couldn't have killed out of um, the, the defilements. Yeah. There are many other such uh, suttas, but the Buddha was there to clarify, yeah, to basically uh, serve as an abiter to the question marks. But after the Buddha passed away, then how? Yeah, how? So what happened? So there were some incidences that seemed to imply that that person is not an Arhat. Yeah, that by right, based on past records, you know, uh, past cases, Arhats don't do such things, ma. Yeah. So then people started having questions. Yeah. And it's not just one case or two cases, but a few different cases. And so from there, different schools approach it differently. And some schools say, in that case, these, these individuals are no longer Arahant or couldn't have been Arahant to begin with. Yeah, that means some say something that they are not Arahant. That's something that um, they have to be, they have still be, still to be Arahant. Yeah, so it means that there's something else. And yet there are those who say, oh, then they belong to a, Grid of arahant that can retrogate. Yeah, that can. Uh, no, this series you go and take a look inside the katabatu. Yeah, so it's quite quite interesting. Yeah, so because of incidences that happen, so then there's all these question marks, uh, including the question of um, I think time was put to question also. Yeah, what is time? A whole series of different concepts, nibbana, what is nibbana, and so on. Yeah. Among them, uh, let me see. Uh, let me see if I can give you a bit of the some of the overview. So among them, right? Uh, just now we talk about dharma, also all the phenomena. Then among them, there's also a further concept of whether things exist or not. Yeah, whether things exist or not. So, of course, this question itself seems strange, right? Why would there be a question of whether things exist? Yeah, does the monitor in front of you exist? Does the screen in front of you exist? So, of course, the answer should be yes, right? So, there are, there are questions about how they exist. You see it exists. So how does it exist? Does it truly exist independently? And when you see it exists, is it permanently existing? And of course, today is again seem to be a foregone knowledge. Yeah. So we say 
condition phenomena is impermanent. Yeah. Yeah. So so after uh, so we say now the monitor is in front of you. So if we say it exists. So how about the monitor you had in the past? Does it exist? And how about a monitor that you're going to buy in the future? Does it exist? Of course, you can say, yeah, of course it exists. It's inside the shopping mall. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 some of these questions become somewhat philosophical. Uh. Yeah, and it's not simply about oh, because it's in a shopping mall. If it's so simple, they wouldn't be writing a treatise about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it has to do with the question of past, future, and present. Does the past exist or not exist? Does the future exist or not exist? Yeah. So there are those when you go through the text, not just this part, but the whole Abhidhamma, and not just the Theravadan um, tradition but also from the other texts that I've mentioned. Um, there are many who look at them and say, hey, this, is, this, seems, this, this is like a counterpart to what the Western world consider as philosophy, right? Looking at the nature of the world, the reality that we exist in, yeah? The reality that we exist in. So, um, then another concept is what we call Swabhava. Yeah. Uh, Chinese we call it Zixing. Whether something has inherent nature or not. And it's linked to the part that uh, just now we uh, I talked about whether things all exist. Yeah. There's actually such a school no, that states that things, all things exist. And here all things means things in the past, things in the future, things in the present. And it's called Shravastivadan. Yeah, Shravastivadan. If you go into the commentaries, you'll find this term very common. Yeah, Shravastivadan, Mula Shravastivadan. No. So uh, the fact that you are attending <clears throat> SGC, there's a high chance you attended the Heart Sutra, uh, like our sister just now. Uh, what's her name? Uh, eh? But where did she go to? Ah, Kyakim, yeah, Kyakim, right? Can you remember Kyakim? The Heart Sutra, the teaching. Now it's time for you to have a revision. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't stress up because she ran away. <clears throat> Next week, don't don't turn up for class anymore. Yeah, but you are, most of you, I think, would have attended the some some talks on on the Heart Sutra. And then the teaching on emptiness. Yeah. So uh, emptiness is about nature. Do, does, do, do things have nature? Meaning that it has some qualities that is inside. Yeah. That means this thing has certain quality in and by itself. Yeah. Does such a thing exist yeah. in terms of the inner quality? So, um, Recently, I, I gave an explanation about how, for example, um, ah, in the Heart Sutra, uh, we talk about whether uh, human, human is conditional or not. Yeah, we talk about, about that. Yeah, so just as a 
as a teaser, <laughs> as a teaser. So uh, are you all human? Are all of you human? Say yes. Should be yes. Huh? If no, you can see me after this, okay? Maybe we need to have some discussion and you can tell me which realm you are from. <laughs> so um, the fact that we are human, we, see, we say that the fact that we are human, if it's a fact, then why is that to discuss, right? <laughs> so there are multiple angles that I look at. So we typically just say we are human, we are human. It's a foregone knowledge, it's, it's, that's it, period. So during the, the, the class, uh, we went through the discussion of how from the Buddhist angle, uh, first of all, the physical body of a human, we don't just exist by ourselves. We require our father-mother involvement. Yeah, either father-mother directly or the sperm and egg. Yeah, so if it's through artificial insemination, then you, you don't need the father direct involvement. Yeah, but accept the sperm, right? In future, maybe they can synthesize that. Yeah, uh, I think cloning is uh, using that process. Oh, they don't uh, need further involvement of everybody. Um, but barring that, yeah, our existence itself requires conditions. So that's one angle. Yeah? We are not inherently human, not hu inherently like this. Uh, further, then from karma point of view, you need karmic condition to be reborn as a human. And then thirdly, I went through how uh, human is a human concept. <laughs> yeah, can you remember? That if a fly or an ant, when an ant is crawling up our body, does it know that it's climbing up a human being? We can we, we may think that no, maybe ant is too small, but dogs, dogs know. How do you know that the dog know you as a human? We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Lah. At least I don't know. I don't know whether you know, but do you know that what you know is really what the dog know? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right? But we but because for for all human, we, we seem to perceive each other in the same way. So that seems to be the, the, the nature that we are all human. We have the human, we have some humanness. Yeah, the moment we open our eyes, we see, oh, human. I see a human here, I see a human there, and so on and so forth. But that's because we have been, we are human and we interpret it that way. It's quite crazy. Yeah? <laughs> then that day I gave another example, which perhaps is less abstract, so for example, uh, I presume your monitor is hard. Yeah. Uh, and you should, if you move left or right a bit more, there should be some wall around you. Question is, are walls inherently hard? Oh, now you're wondering, is it hard? If you're not sure, very simple. You can just find out. Just go towards the wall and knock yourself, knock your head. <laughs> yeah, just knock your head, uh, try. Yeah, but just because it's hard now doesn't mean tomorrow will be hard. So every day you knock. Yeah. <laughs> until, until you get enlightened or you go crazy or it becomes stupid, then you don't ask this question anymore. <laughs> 
So, but as far as human beings are concerned, <clears throat> as far as the concrete wall is concerned, I'm not even going down the, oh, maybe some wall is not made of concrete. Let's just look at concrete, okay? Is co are concrete walls inherently hard? So this is where it becomes interesting. Because as far as human being is concerned, we haven't found any concrete wall where you can knock your head and then the, the concrete wall break by your head don't break. Right? Actually, I did knock into a wall before, you know. <laughs> I was in a Buddhist library and Bhante was, was on the, at the third floor and I was going out for a talk. So I came out and I saw him with the volunteers and then I greeted him, talked to him a bit. And as I was going off in somewhat uh, a bit of a rush, so I, after talking, I just turned around and there was a pillar. <laughs> and I knocked myself into the wall and it was so loud. You know how loud it is? When I turned around, this is how Bante looked like. Bante Dhammarakana. He said, I've never looked, seen him look so short before. He said, he was speechless. And all the, the, the few volunteers were like, Sufu, are you okay? And I'm like, uh, I'm okay. And when I hit the wall, I saw something drop off. There's a chip, one piece of the wall, of the, of the pillar came off. So if you have a chance, usually uh, visitors cannot go to the third floor because third floor is where the volunteers are. But if you have a chance to go to the third floor, when you open the door into the common area, the, the first pillar on the right nearest to the door. Yeah. And you try to find around 1.75 meters because that's where, you know, 1.8 is here. So maybe 1.75 meters you measure, uh, you should see a chip. Oh, Sifu, so you proved that war is not inherently hard. <laughs> your, your head is harder than the wall. No, no, that's not the proof. Huh? The point is, um, as far as human beings are concerned, with human beings as a condition, the wall is hard. The wall is not by itself hard. That's why you can tear down the wall with an excavator. If the wall is inherently hard, nothing can break it. <clears throat> it's as simple as that. But it doesn't end there. That day's discussion goes further to highlight that. But because as far as human beings is concerned, although we also see construction workers, you know, break down walls, they use the steel ball, bang, you know, and then the wall just and sometimes you, you see some uh, videos. Okay, don't, don't ask me why I watch videos of construction workers demolishing walls. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I've seen, and it's quite long. And you see them, it's quite amazing. They stand on the ledge of the wall and they, that they are demolishing the very wall they are standing on without safety guidelines or anything. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. The point is, Despite us witnessing all this, we tend to draw the wrong conclusion that walls are inherently hard. Because with respect to us, they are hard. 
Now, what does this mean? This means that we have a tendency to draw the wrong conclusion about things having inherentness. That whether the wall is hard or not, perhaps is less material, right? Unless you have a tendency to knock in the walls like myself. But if you apply this principle into how we look at people, uh, then you may, you may start to think, think further. How often do we look at someone and then form a first impression or pass a judgment and think that the person is inherently like this or like that? Right? And when someone tells you that no, it's just your impression, your first impression only, we may even further feel that no, Shifu, the person is always like that. <laughs> Right. I I I'm telling you this because I experienced this myself. <laughs> so the trouble is this: um, within our lifetime, our interaction with certain individuals may oftentimes result in the same experience. You know, hey, but Sifu, I thought you said that things are not inherent. Yes. They are not inherent, doesn't mean they will change, you know. As long as the conditions fall within a certain band, your experience is more or less the same, number one. Number two, in addition to that, our preconception colors how we interpret things, how we perceive things. So that further cements how the person appeared to us. And even if we remove the latter, that means remove our coloring, if your conditions with that person, that means our yin the, the mutual condition is more or less still the same, then you are in all likelihood going to experience the same person, the same person, the same irritating person, the same interesting person, the same whatever person. And as a result, then we tend to draw the conclusion that the person is inherently like this or like that, when still, still not inherent. Can you, can you see this? Uh, if you still cannot see, uh, sign up for the next Heart Sutra class. <laughs> so, so this theme on whether things are inherent or not is explored in many angles from many point of view in the in this uh, in, within Abhidhamma also. Uh, but not necessarily in, in that detail or, or in the same way inside the Theravada one. Here I'm going beyond Theravada Abhidhamma, okay? In like Savastivadan Abhidhamma and so on, they have uh, uh, commentaries on such topics. Yeah, because they are, uh, do, not, do not think that all schools purport that things have no inherentness. There are some schools that, that states that no, there's inherentness. <laughs> uh, very interesting. Uh, besides that, then um, there are other themes regarding how things come about. Conditionality. Yeah? And here, conditionality is not simply linked to emptiness again. Okay? Yeah? Talking about the various conditions required. So you talk about Liu Zhong Ying, Wu Zhong Guo, Si Zhong Yuan. The six cause, causes. Uh, the uh, four, the five fruits and four conditions, uh, and different schools have slightly different 
terms or definition of them. Right. Then uh, temporality, just now I mentioned about it already, yeah, past, future, present. Uh, then about rebirth and identity. So these are themes that you find in normal Dharma talks we also talk about, right? Uh, but in the Abhidharma, then there's further uh, questions about this. Yeah. Uh, and these are common questions, actually. Questions like, in Buddhism, we, we teach no self, right? Then if there's no self, then how do you have rebirth? Huh? Right? Uh, so if you consider all this, then you realize that Abhidharma is not so foreign. And the impression sometimes we get about Abhidharma is, well, Abhidharma is some very, well, because you know it's a higher text, it's a superior text, superior text. So as though it's some master's degree course, university, uh, like, you know, PhD level, then you can study that. Um, but actually it's about the very questions we have, isn't it? Yeah. Except that when we have those questions, it's just, it's maybe not so formally um, uh, established, not very formalized. Yeah. And maybe we, we only thought about one part, but the, the various Abhidhamma texts look at it from so many other angles. No? So these are interesting for us, not, not just as a point of curiosity, but helpful for us to explore, to learn, um, because then it can help us to, when we revisit the, the teachings, uh, such as the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, it can help us to relook at it and say, hey, how does it map together? Yeah. When we learn no self, what's the point of no self? When I first learned about the teaching of no self, it was simply as the three universal characteristics. Yeah, anicca, dukkha, anatta, memorize. Yeah. For, for me, a lot of Buddhisms, I didn't really try to memorize them. The only thing I tried to, I had to memorize was the Heart Sutra. <laughs> and it was because there was this Taiwanese instructor who helped to conduct the Dharma camp uh, for NTU Buddhist Society. And a whole bunch of us, like majority of us, couldn't memorize it, you know. And you know what she told us? On the second day of the, uh, of the, don't know, first or second day, second day, I think, of the Dharma camp, that was way back. Uh. She said, <笑>应该没问题吧哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇哇
a good number of us managed to memorize it. Yeah. But the rest of the terms, um, somehow over time, I just, it, it just, it was just quite easy for me to remember them. Yeah. Um, my point is this, that initially because, partly because it's quite easy for me to, mem to remember them. So I didn't really, maybe it's because at the earliest, earlier years, uh, I didn't really think much about, so no self, what does it mean? You know, anatta, okay. Of course, you know, all the books explain to you, right? But you, I, I never really sit down and think, so, so what, you know, what's the implication? And why, why must it be no self? At first place, what, made, what, you know, all these questions. But over the years, then I start to appreciate a bit more. Yeah. Uh, and today, um, the other day I just mentioned, uh, one, there are two approaches that I find useful for people. So in terms of self or no self, one angle is assume that there is no self. Another angle is don't assume that it is no self. Yeah. So when you are trying out the teachings, just assume if, assume there is no self. What does it mean? It means if you encounter some situation and then ask yourself, if truly what the Buddha said is true, that there's no fixed identity, there's no permanent persona, then how would I look at this situation? But this is kind of like borrowing the Buddha's wisdom and then see, okay, so, so what, you know? But if you are investigating and trying to contemplate on no self, you cannot start off with the assumption that it is no self. If you start off with no self, then what is that? No self, no self. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Three second contemplation. <laughs> yeah. So that's where then if you want to contemplate on no self, then you must start off not assuming it's no self, but to go and examine what itself. Yeah. Uh, so part of this approach, um, of course, my my teacher, my ordination teacher, he went through at length. Uh, but I recall as well from another senior monk. So when I was in Taiwan, uh, while, uh, while I prepared for my uh, ordination, and then later on, one year later, when I was preparing for higher ordination, I stayed in Santa Si. And during that period, uh, he, would, um, he would share with, talk to me, yeah, uh, ask me questions, and then uh, have Dhamma discussions with me. Yeah. So uh, one of the themes that came up was the thing on no self. Yeah, and he passed me a set of notes uh, regarding what is self. Yeah, and the, the, the same thing, actually, of course, he, he learned under my teacher before. So later on, when I went back, so I listened to my teacher's teaching. Yeah, he, the, my teacher always highlight, so most of all, what is self? Yeah, the three features of self. Yeah. Three features. Changhanzu, eternal, unchanging, not changing. autonomous. That means you can decide just independently on your own. Without any, that means not, not just make decisions, but you can decide how you. So let's say this is the cell. The self can decide how it wants to be. Yeah. Self. Okay. <laughs> I just like to have some funny props. 
self. If this is a self, then self can decide how self want to be. Yeah. So, and later on, when you look through the Pali Canon, right, then you realize actually this is exactly the questions that Buddha asked, you know, that if physical form is self, then you should be able to decide how the physical form is to be in future. Then you can decide that the physical body not go through aging, sickness, or death, right? But it is still subject to aging, sickness, and death. You cannot control it. Can you? Can you determine whether it goes through aging, sickness, and death? SK2 doesn't count. <laughs> I think at some point, SK2 is going to send me a letter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they will send me a, a sample. Dear Venerable, we have heard from sources that you have repeatedly refuted the progress of SK2 to defeat aging. So we have sent you a whole hamper pack. Yeah, every month we will send you one pack for you to peruse, to experience the, the youth rejuvenating qualities of SK2. <laughs> Yeah, but I will tell you this, the very fact that there's SK2 is evidence of the fact that the body is not within our control. That's why we need SK2 to control it, <laughs> to try to influence it. And even then, still cannot. Yeah, still cannot. Only limited control for our time being. Beyond that, yeah. You see some, well, the skin super smooth, but then the eyes look old. Yeah, you know, our eyes tell our age. So, oh, wow, super, then the eyes. So, <laughs> that's actually a very scary one. Have you all seen before? Yeah, the, wow, everything looks so young. Uh. Black hair, wow, it's very nice. Then the eyes look old. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. That's our, that's our struggle. Uh. That's our struggle. Yeah. So the, the, the Buddhist approach is very interesting. Looking at self. And not just physical body, our mind as well. And mind then they break down into feelings, perception, mental formations, and consciousness, right? And even, even if you look at the, the classical teaching in the Pali Canon, right? Mind is only just this four, right? Yeah. Much lesser compared to Apitama. Yeah, but even this four, I sometimes tell students, this four on a daily basis, do you do you think of yourself, think of others in terms of this four? Strictly speaking, not not in this way, isn't it? Yeah. We may use similar terms like conscious, yeah, but not exactly in the same way as this, right? The way it's found in the in the sutras. So my point is not that we should throw away the sutras, no. These terms are very useful, but to realize that in our day-to-day -day usage, we need to sort of do a, a mapping to our own experiences. Huh? And in this way, then we can make the teachings come to life yeah, for us. Ah, the last the last theme that I want to talk about is the atomism. Uh, Chinese called Wei, 
uh, we we have another term called infinitesimal. Oh, very cheap term. <laughs> Even for me, it's cheap. We were doing translation, then we're like, hey, atomic. Then in, initially, we used the word atomic, I think. Then after we were like, hey, but atomic, from science, we know that atomic atom is not the smallest. Eh? Yeah, because there's proton neutron inside the atom. And then proton neutron, neutron can be broken down further into quartz, and then quartz broken down into something else, particles. Eh? But more importantly, we change from uh, atomic atoms uh, to infinitesimal because Z wave uh, has that meaning. Uh, infinitesimal has that meaning of Z and wave. Z means very extreme, then wave means very subtle, very small. So infinitesimal, 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 so extremely small. Yeah, so in the Abhidharma text, Various schools also have this concept that the physical world can be broken down into tiny particles. Yeah, that uh, these small, small particles uh, is the building blocks. So this is very interesting because the word atom found in the Greek philosophy, Aristotle, yeah, they, they, they have this notion also, uh, atomos, yeah, that uh, the physical world comprises uh, indestructible element. Yeah, Atomos has that notion that it's indivisible. Yeah. So although uh, different country, different kind of backdrop, but they, they, they seem to go towards a certain angle, uh, which is similar. Yeah. So, uh, but from this, then there are a lot of question marks. <laughs> A lot more other question marks. So, uh, in the uh, I think in the yoga chara school, we also talk about this ji wei thing. Yeah, that's mentioned about this ji wei. Uh, the in the Ru Pusa Singlun, the Bodhicharya Watara commentary from the Tibetan tradition. Yeah, then they have they have the argument, not argument. They have the debate with other schools that says that is infinitesimal. So they question each other. You see that's infinitesimal. So is your infinitesimal, does it have sides or parts? Can it come, they, when they touch each other, do they touch as a whole? So you think about it, uh, they say infinitesimal has no parts and it has no sides. So if it has no sides and no parts, then do they touch each other? If they touch each other, do they touch completely or partially? If partially, that means your earlier statement is wrong. If completely, then are they one or are they separate? It's mind twisting. <laughs> yeah, but it's very logical. The, 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 the series of questions in the, in the Abhidhamma are all very interesting and very uh, logical yeah so um, beyond that uh, let me see uh,
so so when Dama talk talk until cannot talk ready so show so this one is the Bisiri manga yeah so uh, talk about the the path of purification uh, it loosely follows seven stages uh, that can be found in the Pali canon uh, the Sutta on the seven chariots <clears throat> uh, seven chariots starting from uh, sila, samadhi, and then wisdom and views, and so on and so forth. Uh, so this one by Venerable Buddha Gosa, reprinted courtesy of the, uh, the corporate body of the Buddha Education Foundation yeah, in Taiwan. Yeah, they, 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 they do free printing of various Buddhist texts. Our translation, we send it to them for free printing also. Uh, but the new translations, we stopped sending to them not because they did a bad job, they did an excellent job. Well, because over the years, I, we realized that most people don't carry books nowadays. And when you get them to reprint, they actually have to find a means to... Printing is half the, it's just half the problem. It's how to keep the books you know, in a good condition so that when people order and they, when they retrieve from the store, they are still in a good condition and not all yellow and torn, you know. Yeah. So this one is uh, from the Tibetan tradition on emptiness. Yeah. Uh, emptiness in the mind-only school of Buddhism. Uh, so oh yeah, a few a few names uh. So just now uh, mentioned uh, variable Buddha Gosa, right? Then you have uh, Vasbandu, no Vasbandu. Yeah. And we have variable Asanga. So they are under the consciousness only school. Um, Venerable Nagarjuna is under the, uh, he is reputed to have established the emptiness only school, or emptiness school, not emptiness only. Then you have that Theravada Abhidharma. Then you have the Shravastivada Abhidharma. A few, a, a good number of these books are actually from uh, Sister Ming. Yeah, she, she, uh, very kindly, I don't think about it. Some were gifted to me. Some I don't know whether it was lent to me, <laughs> but somehow become permanently lent. <laughs> she didn't ask that. I thought, well, if she needs, she will ask for me. Maybe maybe I should check him with her. Yeah, but I know that some of it uh, were were given to me. Like I think this one, yeah, this one as a as a note. So this one is quite clearly given to me. Now, this Sravastivada Abhidhamma is uh, uh, written by the Paakwang Pasu. This one is, this one is uh, different from the one uh, uh, who is known in Singapore. This one is, I, I believe he is the one who, uh, who teaches in Hong Kong. Yeah, who teaches in Hong Kong. Uh, but there are a lot of other books. Lah. Oh, so the whole shelf. <laughs> I cannot be bringing the whole shelf down. Oh, so, um, oh, two more minutes left. <laughs> oh, I, I thought today I will finish at three o'clock. <sighs> Abhidhamma is, uh, is a very interesting journey for myself. Uh, I, 
I, I must I must also do a do a what you call that a proper uh proper uh declaration. Uh. I I cannot say that I, I'm I'm definitely not an expert in Abhidhamma. No. Uh, Theravadan Abhidhamma, I read through uh, the compendium and the and some of the texts way back in the US. Um, a good part of the Chinese text that I go through uh, under my teacher falls under Abhidhamma directly. Yeah. Uh, but still, uh, I don't say that I am actually qualified to fully teach the whole Abhidhamma also. Uh, this sounds cliche, uh, but the more I learn, <laughs> the more I feel that I'm not qualified. <laughs> yeah, I think one day I will tell you all, I, I cannot teach. I better keep my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. So, do you all have any questions to ask? <clears throat> Anybody have any questions to ask? You can also send me a text. <laughs> If you have any questions to ask, uh, I hope the uh, today's session uh, serve as a primer. Or as I mentioned, is meant to be a level one hundred, so it's more more like an introduction. Uh, uh, and uh, I hope it pick your interest uh, and curiosity about what Abhidhamma is. Uh, if you leave this session with more questions than answer, then I've done my job. Uh, and I hope that uh, you all will go and attend classes on Abhidhamma elsewhere. Don't ask me to start Abhidhamma classes. <laughs> I know, if I don't say that later on after this, there'll be students say, it's so simple. That day oh, I attended the SGC on Abhidhamma. Hey, so when are you going to start? Uh? Let me just tell you first, okay? Before you all send me text, call me and tell me or whatever. Uh, currently, <laughs> I'm waiting to clear Wednesday Diamond Sutra, Thursday uh, the Ruposa Singlun, Buddhicharya Watara. Okay, so these two are long running classes. Wednesday class may take another few months, at least a few more months. Thursday class is wrapping up because we are doing the re-reading, you know? But I have a few backlog. Yeah, I have a few backlog. Like Tapezo, I did once, and then after that, Wiki asked me a few times, so Sufu, are you gonna do it again? Then I'm like, uh Tapezo quite long. So <laughs> we, we, we did over like what nine months, six months or something, like two two, two sessions, and it was very rushed. <laughs> I'm like, what's that? And then there's also the uh Huayan Sing Ting that I still, I still owe some students and Bante also. Uh, this one, we can do a rerun, but the earliest possible will be next year, if I'm still alive. <laughs> okay, uh, so with that, uh, I, I want to take the opportunity. Uh, just now, Elvin was uh, texting me about the... He sent me a video. I didn't click and watch. Um, but from the description, he mentioned about this 
this young girl who broke down during the interview. Um, I, I don't think I need to watch it to appreciate that uh, the, the devastation, the trauma, the, the tragedy that is happening um, uh, is, is beyond words. Huh? Yeah, so I'd like to take this opportunity to um, invite all of you and whoever is watching this to extend love and compassion uh, to all in Palestine and also in uh, uh, Israel uh, that to wish for them uh, to find peace, to find strength and courage in this very, very difficult times. Then imagine now all we have to contend is, oh, now we cannot meet and have gathering of 5% anymore. Now we can only have 2% and then cannot dine in. <laughs> you know, when you see news like, and you see the actual footage of the rockets firing back and forth and the whole building being demolished, and you're thinking about what we're going through, there's nothing. <laughs> there is really nothing. So to extend uh, love and compassion to them, <clears throat> may they be... Uh, May they be able to receive the support and care um, wherever they are. And for those who perish, may they find peace whichever realm they are reborn. May, have, may they have the conditions to be reborn in a happy realm, be in contact with the Buddha, Dharma and the Sangha and practice and attain final liberation in due time. I'd like to also further extend dedication to uh, I want to say India, but it's not just India, isn't it? it's all over the world. Yeah, so many people suffering. Uh, that may all who have perished due to the COVID-19 be reborn in a happy realm. Those who are suffering from it uh, be able to receive suitable medical aid, care, and recover in due time. May all beings be well and happy. Sunday,